Welcome, everyone, to this special Ooh. episode of Morg and Boonies. <laughs> That's bones rattling. Hey, <laughs> this is our first annual, hopefully, Halloween special. Uh, we've, we're big fans of the Halloween season, and we're an even bigger fan of movies, and we're an even bigger fan of the horror genre within said movies. So today we're going to take a little extra yes. bonus time from me, Mr. Morg, and Mr. Bulloni, also known as Nicholas and Gregorus. Greg, indeed. <laughs> We're going to take turns talking one movie from each of our ten lists. They're not ranked in any order. These are not our favorite of all time. Mm -mm. These are ten nah. movies we think we want to recommend. Maybe you haven't heard of them. Maybe you haven't watched them in a while. Or maybe you've, you know, oh, you've yeah. heard of them, but you just haven't had the chance to, to, to watch them. We've got a varied list here. And we're mm -hmm. gonna little do a little ranting and raving about why we love them, why we recommend them, and switching back mm -hmm. and forth. Right in the middle, we're yep, gonna do staggered. a little yeah, staggered exactly like a zipper or Velcro, maybe. Ooh, Velcro stag. The spooky. The the spookiest fabrics of sure after corduroy. haunted Velcro. Uh, in the middle, we're going to do a little bit of a bonus round. We're going to talk real quick lightning round about some things outside of the movie medium. So that's books mm -hmm. is a little hint. You can expect some of that. And Anime is something you can expect from me. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, Greg, is there anything you'd like to add before we get started on our list of mayhem? Uh, yeah, everyone, please stay safe. Make sure that you use a metal detector on your candy as there mm -hmm. will be razor blades. Yes. intermittently thrown in and make sure do not throw any of the smarties away they may be laced with thc Ooh. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> all right <laughs> that's a good idea i'm gonna take a sip from my spooky coca-cola bottle filled with tap water <laughs> i thought you were gonna say i'm gonna make a note to lace my smarties with thc <laughs> It's killing me. Okay, I'm back with tears in my eyes, so that means everything's fine. Oh, good. And I'm going to start off this list, if you don't mind, Mr. Gregory. Not at all. Please let it rip. Woo! We're going to start it off with number 10 on my list, and that is 2015's Bone Tomahawk. Bone Ooh. Tomahawk is a Western horror film uh, written and directed by auteur... S. Craig Zoller, who's got a very specific style we'll get into in just a second. I first saw this in 2015 and I was instantly in love with it. It has an absolutely stellar cast that all gives 100% from the likes of Kurt Russell and Patrick Wilson are some of the leads in it and special roles with uh, WCW World Heavyweight Champion David Arquette and of course the late Sid Haig. <laughs> who, you know, one of his later roles, and he still gives it 100%. Delightful character. It's structurally just very interesting to me because it starts off as a pretty standard Western, them engines are bad, you know, kind of. That's what you expect from it because it's about this tribe of Native Americans. So they go out of their way to specify that these this tribe is hated even among Native Americans and they're all incestual and stuff. So they're not... Ooh quote-unquote real Native Americans. It's a prickly road, but it, it 
works and there is a Native American character who we learn this information from and uh, I think a fun change of pace he's one of the smartest characters in this movie oh that is nice yeah so the main character is Patrick Wilson you may know him as Ocean Master Orm Ooh. from Aquaman and I think that's it <laughs> no he was in a musical too no other too. relative franchises <laughs> he was in the Conjuring a specific genre <laughs> He, he's a big, you know, con, uh, Conjuring. Uh, seen Insidious as well. Mm, yes. Uh, and as lo- a lot of you may know, this we this podcast is set in the Conjuring universe, so we're all yeah. big fans of Mr. Patrick Wilson. The main character is Patrick Wels- Wilson. 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 <laughs> Who is this uh, <laughs> backup deputy in this town? And he is shot by a survivor from the attack by the, I think they call them like mongoloids or no, they call them troglodytes, which is a favorite word of mine. And basically they set a real fear into the town and eventually Patrick Wilson's wife gets kidnapped by the troglodytes. And they basically form a rescue team to go and get him, including uh, the you know a lovable racist, uh, Kurt Russell, who's like you know the big Western man, and the deputy uh-huh. Patrick Wilson. And the first half is entirely just like a like a retro, a bit gory because that's S. Krogzoller's his calling card is his love mm-hmm. of practical gore. And then, but then around halfway through, shot in his leg gets infected or something like that. And they have to leave oh, him. He's dead. And they basically, and they have to leave him behind. And the rest of them go on to try and continue the mission and save his wife and all that. This is where it starts to become a horror movie, which is like such a cool. It, it's very rare you see a movie completely change genres in between, like the at the halfway point. I can't really think of any other examples at the very moment. I know some of them over time movies have changed genres, like the the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Is, have changed genres many times. The only other movie I can think of that has like a major shift is Gone Girl, and I don't think it's like a shift to horror. No, no, no. It's it's just a shift in a really cool shift in perspective. But this one, so after mm-hmm. he he's like in like his his legs all busted, he keeps going, and it's like it's very similar to like The Revenant, you know, where he's all busted up and trying to crawl and do whatever he can to get there. Mm-hmm. So the, the party that left them behind, they get their fucking tushies whooped and end up being <laughs> <laughs> they end up being hostages as well because these troglodytes are also cannibals. And we get some pretty pretty Holy gnarly shit, gore, oh. you know. Uh some favorite characters passing away. No one's safe. So be careful, I'm not saying who. And you're basically and we basically split between them and following this busted up janky Patrick Wilson just doing his best to, to <laughs> literally crawl at some points, making a splint out of, you know, busted up boards because we're in the Wild West with some, you know, good old fashioned rifles against a very Hell brutal yeah. and very om- almost silent. These guys like will just come out of nowhere. These troglodytes. So S. Krugzall are also like it is very similar to the descent. Another big thing is a lot of it's in in sunlight, in in the bright outside in the west, which is not a horror setting that we get very often. There's like tremors, mm-hmm. if you want to count tremors, which I do. Uh, Midsummer is another very famous recent example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm, I'm always for a daylight horror movie, especially one like a especially period horror, which is even rarer to get both of them. So, yeah. Well, that isn't like Victorian. Yeah. You know, like uh, the Guillermo del Toro Crimson Peak spooky ghost movie. You know, there's a lot of those. Lady in Black. Woman in Black, I think. Oh, you right. <laughs> Danny Rads, I'll never forget. I saw that in theaters, shit my pants, literally and figuratively. <laughs> That's going to bring me to the end of my number 10, Bone Tomahawk, with Patty Wills, Curdy Russ, and Sid Hoog. And if there are any fellow uh, Blu-ray or DVD collectors out there, um, I believe I've seen Bone Tomahawk at Walmart several times for like five bucks on Blu-ray, so I mean... Pretty That's, solid find. That is definitely worth it if you don't mind some gore, some sexual mm-hmm. assault. Is horror movies mm-hmm. and sexual assault <laughs> unfortunately very tied together? It is a horrific situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is an extremely good movie. The cinematography is really good. The score is really good. If you can find it for cheap, I highly recommend it. If none of those things I've told you so far have turned you off. Now on to I Mr. Super on. On to Mr. Gregory's number 10. So my number 10 is going to be a bit of an extremely well-known gem because it's a movie that I first discovered uh, late into my teens. And I watch it every couple of years probably and just have a big smile on my face the whole time, a couple laughs. I'm talking, of course, about... American Psycho, starring Christian the Man Bale, the Batman that is. Yes, that's right, in case you haven't seen it, which you probably have, Christian Bale stars as the titular American Psycho. American Psycho, uh, the first time you watch it through, probably going to read more as a uh, disturbing horror film, but I think just similar to Joker, once you get into it and you've seen it like two, three times, you really start to pull the comedy out of it. And a lot of the comedy is very, very uh, simple, so to say. It's very on the nose. Like, he opens a fridge at one point, and there is a woman's head in a bag. But he reaches next to it, and he, I believe, offers his date a gelato. (laughs) A wink, wink. Very funny. But also, just something I love about American Psycho is how much fun Christian Bale seems to be having with that role. That seems to be a kind of dream role, like one of those archetypal, just the psycho who gets to run around being crazy murderous and then very charming. And at certain points, very crazy while being charming, but no one seems to get that you're some kind of crazy psycho, Uh, which is hilarious, of course, as I mentioned. It is a black comedy satire, and a little fun fact, something I learned about the filming of American Psycho that I thought was just excellent, top marks as uh, filmmaking goes. A couple of scenes where Willem Dafoe, he's a detective, he goes to interview Patrick Bateman, aka Christian Bale, the American Psycho, and he asks him several questions about where he was at a certain time because some other big CEO type has gone missing, and. He maybe suspects Bateman because they were last seen together. They, they filmed that scene two different ways, giving Willem Dafoe two different uh, motivations. So one of the motivations they gave him was, you don't think he did it. You think he's completely innocent. You're going to be laissez-faire about the whole thing. The other way they filmed it was by telling Willem Dafoe, you think this guy did it. He's guilty as shit and you know it, but you can't arrest him right now. 
And then they ended up in the edit cutting those two together. So while you're watching the scene, it's very... I don't know, it's it's so cool that like in one bit, Willem Dafoe seems very clearly on to him. And then immediately he's just like, Nah, that's just a rumor though, I'm not really going to do anything about it. It's... It's almost jarring in a sense seeing him flip-flop when you've been watching Christian Bale just massacre people this whole time. But um, that is one of my uh, favorite fun facts about American Psycho. And of course, it's an infinitely quotable movie. So if you've heard the monologue about the tasteful thickness of a business card, that's probably from American Psycho. Nothing beats the Huey Lewis in the News monologue. Just endlessly quotable. Do you like Huey Lewis in the News? And then, of course, just the little raincoat he puts on, the little dance he does while he's holding the axe. It just looks so fun. Like, man, if only I were a rich CEO in the 90s or wherever, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I could just run around murdering people Quick. and then maybe not murdering them. Who does he kill that's another thing wearing about. the raincoat? Paul Allen. Spoiler alert, but I mean, the movie's more of a ride. You just go with it. And who plays Paul Allen? I believe it's Jared Leto of 30 Seconds to Mars fame. That is exactly correct. Our favorite cult leader, Jared Leto. Yes. Very, very appropriate for this episode. Man, that scene alone when he just, Hey, Paul! Turns, oh my god. Splits his head open with an axe. The blood sprays on his face. It's just, oh my god. You guys... If you haven't seen American Psycho in a while, or if you've never seen it, I hope this has piqued your interest because uh, it's a treat. It's a treat of a movie for the for the spooky season, especially. I'd also recommend the the novel American Psycho as well, also really good, by Bret Easton Ellis. I would not recommend the mm-hmm. musical with Matt Smith. It is one of the it worst musical? musicals that has ever been recorded. It is absolute oh, agony to sit through. It's like it's all synths and Matt Smith is like talk singing the whole time because he can't really sing. The the uh. business card song's kind of delightful, but the rest of it's just absolute bollocks. <laughs> all right, I'll have to look up the business card song. And all of you should as well. But that's going to be my recommendation. American Psycho, great flick. Nick, do you want to take us away with your number nine, you not cheater? Number nine. So, I'm cheating. <laughs> I'm going to do a double feature Who guessed? on my number nine spot. Because these are two movies that I kind of associate with each other. These are tra- the Trauma Entertainment's Toxic Avenger and The Class of Nukem High. These are movies I watched mm. religiously as a child. Along with the rest of the Toxic Avenger film series. But there's something about the first one that is so charming in that terrible trauma way. So, I'll do a quick plot breakdown of these first, real quick of these movies, because I'm taking up double slots. So, Toxic Avenger (laughs) is about this tiny, maybe mentally deficient nerd, it's not really expanded upon, who works at this gym as a janitor, and he is bullied by the onslaught of giant muscle-brained jock gym rats <laughs> the two buff guys and they're a little bit dated they're they're vapid and slutty girlfriends mm. they bully him and uh, trick him into dressing up in a pink polka dotted ballerina outfit so that she will make out with him one of the one of the girlfriends 
and they play a prank on him, turn the lights on, everyone sees him making a goofy face, everyone in the entire gym's in this locker room. He didn't hear him, you know, that's just how it happens. And he panics, and they're <laughs> making fun of him, and pushing him, and slapping him, and he falls out of the window from the third story. Now, what a weird coincidence, <laughs> the driver of a nuclear waste truck is sitting right outside. The, the town is famous for having a lot of pollution. People just kind of dump stuff there. So the, the nuclear waste plant is nearby. So he takes a break. Melvin flies out of the window, curse Blunk. His entire torso sank into this nuclear waste. Now he gets out all burnt and disfigured. Bits of flesh and hair starts falling out. But he starts mutating into this gigantic, muscular, Technically two-eyed. Watch it and you'll find out why technically. Uh, Basically, uh, Avenger. So he goes to destroy not only these bullies who spend their free time by killing people, by driving over them in their car, including a little boy on his bike, which they back over his skull, popping it like a tiny little egg. (laughs) But the, the corruption in the town, including several drug runners, the corrupt mayor, and this leads to his future exploits. In fact, the first three movies were all shot at the same time, which you can kind of tell. <laughs> it is. There's a musical of this one as well, which I would recommend. It's pretty fun and charming. Uh, very different. They adapted parts of all the movies, more or less. Oh, you can't mention it without mentioning the blind girl he falls in love with because he <laughs> doesn't let her know what he looks like. But when he does, she's fine with it anyway. And there's a big old Aww. dick joke. Gotta love him. Oh, I actually didn't know this. I just looked on the casting page. Apparently in the director's cut, Marissa Tomei is one of the girls in the locker room. Wow. I love Marissa Tomei. Uh, and this is going <laughs> to leave... It's a very, very fun, charming movie. A Class of Nukem High is a very similar... It's the same kind of science fiction, horror, comedy kind of thing. This is... Uh, in Tromaville, I believe is the city in the first one as well, in this high school, which is right next to a nuclear power plant. An accident happens and there's nuclear leakage into the school. The principal does not want, you know, people to blame him because it's totally his fault. And this ends up with a bunch of the the kids getting infected by this nuclear waste and some of them turning into real ripe assholes. <laughs> Warren and Chrissy, I believe, are the main characters, and they are dating, and let's just say there is a a mutated sex scene and a mutated child. Ooh. There is a bit, there is a character who only appears in the latter half of the film. She is one of the leaders, but it comes out of nowhere because unfortunately during filming, the actress died in a motorcycle crash, and they wanted to keep her scenes in out of respect. So they filmed this the movie in reverse order, getting all the mutated stuff out of the way. So, <laughs> so keep in mind that it's story-wise, it's a little weird, but I think it's a very touching tribute, all things considered. <laughs> so these movies, they may sound like a bunch of dumb, gross gobshite, and in a sense they are. But Trauma has made a whole buttload of movies, and I think a lot of them are mostly kind of bad. But if you've ever seen them. It's this really, like, E-list, D-list, really schlocky, really cheap, really dirty 
movies, <laughs> kind of, but they're made with, well, at least, like, the originals. Some of them that get turned into franchises, like Thanks Killing, isn't, aren't very great. But they're made with a lot of love and a lot of care, and there's so much of this jank 80s, 90s charm with these people who have never acted before and maybe never acted since. Like, so you can go through <laughs> and you'd be like, I don't recognize a single one of these actors. And they're like, yeah. Because they didn't, you know, they didn't really make much of a thing outside of trauma movies. It's so, it's just like it's like a perfect time capsule to go into. <laughs> and even though trauma still technically exists, I think Lloyd Kaufman, the creator, has gotten into some some legal trouble that I won't comment too much upon because I'm not too familiar. But there, there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing superior in the, or there's very few things superior in the gross schlocky pulp nonsense horror comedy adventure genre which is a very specific <laughs> genre sure uh then these two Super films <laughs> um i think if you if you really want uh grab a couple brews and and laugh at the absolutely insane acting choices and there are a whole lot of them i recommend these two <laughs> movies there is sexual assault. <laughs> you, you know, gotta expect that. There is homophobia. As, as a man who is not, is a person, as a as a problematic queen, who is not uh, perfectly straight. We'll just get that out of the way. It's you know, it's a fun jaunt. It's not mean spirited most of the time, but it is mean. <laughs> I don't know how much. I don't know if you've seen any of these movies, if you've got anything to say on a Mr. Bolanos. Uh, I have not, but uh, if you're a Goonies fan and you've always wanted to see a movie starring uh, Chunk, uh, this sounds like that. So, you know, <laughs> win-win, dream come true for you. Apparently there are a bunch of Nukem High sequels. I have not seen any of the sequels to Nukem High. I have seen sequels mm. to... I've seen all the, the Toxic Avenger movies, and I'd recommend... Uh, the fourth one. <laughs> Two's got some funny <laughs> stuff in it, but three's like just an entire acid trip. So only watch three if you're really in love with the series. All right, that's going to bring me to nice. the end of my number nine. If you could take it away with yours. Will do, Nicholas. Uh, my number nine is going to be the film 1408. I love this title, personally. 1408 is... A psychological haunting horror film in which uh, a writer, John Cusack, ends up staying inside of room 1408 in the Dolphin Hotel because he's been told by the owner not to. The owner being Samuel L. Jackson. You see, John Cusack in this movie, he's written many books, but the only ones that are successful are the ones about haunted places. So he's, in essence writing just to stay alive at this point. He's not really in love with what he does because most of what he does is just tearing down supposedly haunted places until he gets to 1408. Now what I love about 1408 is it's really, really different. It's an adaptation of a Stephen King short story. The short story is not like this at all. They really kind of just took the room the room number, I should say, 1408, and they ran with it. They said, you know what, let's let's make a whole movie out of this because, you know, the rights aren't that expensive. It's a short story. So they took a couple of the ideas, like the door frame being slanted, and then he looks away, he looks back, and now it's slanted the other direction. Looks away, looks back, and now it's straight. 
they took a couple of those ideas from the short story and they implemented them, but what they really dove into, and I think it's pretty apparent, is uh, Dante's Inferno. They took a lot of inspiration from Dante's Inferno to essentially, during the course of the movie, force John Cusack to travel through the different circles of hell, and some are more obvious, like the Frozen Circle, and then, well, I'm not going to spoil the uh, what happens right after the Frozen Circle, but it's a really, really nice touch, keeping Dante's Inferno in mind, if you know the... Uh, the Divine Comedy. And it's also one of the most horrifying things to happen to him, which is extra good, because it's extra fucked up. So, if you're interested in something that takes a lot from a couple different sources and has a lot of neat ideas in it, I definitely recommend 1408, especially if you're a Stephen King fan. I know that might actually turn a lot of people off from this, hearing it's so different and they kind of ran with it in their own direction. But as a horror fan... I think 1408 is kind of criminally under underappreciated. That's the word I'm looking for. I think 1408 has a lot to offer, even if you're not huge into Stephen King, even if you're not huge into the Divine Comedy, circa whenever that was written. It's got a lot of heart in it and a lot of honest horror. And it's just, it also fucks with your perception of time at a certain point in the movie. A couple points, actually. You know, no spoilers, but it's it's really, really engaging. And if you imagine yourself trapped in that scenario, you know, it, it can really mess with your head. I love John Cusack as well. I think he's great in the movie, and he's great in pretty much every movie he's done that I've seen, which is uh, maybe three or four. And that's pretty much all I have to say about uh, 1408, my number nine pick, 1408. Nicholas, do you have anything to add about this delicious film? Uh, Unless the, you hate it, then uh, shut up. The sum of 1408 is 13. Yes, fun fact. That's why the room is quote-unquote so haunted. Because it's on what would be the 13th floor of the hotel. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a lot of hotels out of tradition skip the number 13 when they're numbering because it's believed to be unlucky. Which is a, a nice extra detail that the room 1408, when you add the numbers together, is room 13 on the would-be 13th floor. So, yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Nick. I, I like that little that little tidbit, that fun fact. Yeah, no worries. Some of my facts do tend to be fun. Yeah, um, fact checker. <laughs> and go ahead and take us away with your number eight pick, Nicholas. All right, I'm going to recommend... The film, and this one had a pretty good amount of pop. It released at the beginning of this year for us Americans, though I think it came out late last year internationally. I'm talking about The Color Out of Space, <laughs> directed and co-written Ayo. by Richard Stanley, based on course by The Color Out of Space by H.P. Lovecraft, Howard Philip Lovecraft, in fact, I believe his name is. Howard Phillip, what a nerd. It is uh, Staley's, or Stanley's first fi- film since he was fired from the island of Dr. Moreau in 1996. Which, oh shit! if you've never heard about that movie, it's a fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> I think it originally had Marlon Brando, and he was like was cut to shit. There's like three different directors. Yeah, there's Marlon Brando, Val Kilmer, Firuza Balk, David Thewlis... And there's, there's a documentary that's really interesting. I, uh, Lost Soul is its name. And it is 
a glorious mess. The weather sucked. Everyone was upset at each other. Really good, really good documentary. But I'm not talking about that bullshit. I'm talking about Color Out of Space, which is this oh, shit. cosmic horror science fiction movie. Hey, just a little shout out to anyone who loves calling it cosmic horror instead of Lovecraftian. You know, <gasps> That's me. Lo Lovecraft's a great writer. Very, he had some troubling opinions we shouldn't credit an entire genre to him he wasn't the first won't be the last far from it anyway moving on <laughs> this very fair film uh stars nicholas cage at one of his nicholas cagest roles this and mandy who have both released recently are absolute nicholas cage showboats like he is absolutely insane this also features <laughs> tommy chong uh, uh, you know, our favorite pot-smoking Canadian. Features Keornyanka Kilcher. I, I've never learned how to say her name, and I've made a rule <laughs> to never look up how to say anyone's name. That's a running gag on this show and in my life. Uh, she was in Terrence Malick's The New World, where she was Pocahontas, I believe, or the character that was Pocahontas. I think she was real. Uh, anyway, she, she, was. she plays a news reporter. Very good at her, her spot in this movie. Now, this movie is an adaptation of one of what people would say is H.P. Lovecraft's harder-to-adapt work. Some say maybe unadaptable, but he did a pretty damn good job here. So this watchman family... of H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> uh, so it basically is this family of five, five people, a mother, a father, two sons, and a daughter. One of these sons is a famous child actor, at this point like he is the big you I'll, I'll describe him right now and you can probably picture him he's young mm -hmm. he's got a real silly voice and he has these big bottlenose glasses and this big empty eye gaze <laughs> now he is in color out of space he is in greener grass he's in the haunting of hill house he is in penny dreadful uh -huh. And he's going to be in the new Conjuring movie. He is one of my favorite child actors out there. He's got really good timing. Just very genuine. So, nice. this family moves in there. They've all got their issues or their quirks. You know, the dad is this holistic farmer. He's got this herd of alpacas. Because he's like, alpacas is going to be... They're going to be big soon. <laughs> the mother is... <laughs> she's working online. In all this stress. She just got this mastectomy from her breast cancer there is the the teenage Ouch. daughter who is a wiccan uh the teenage son who is a bit of you know bit of a handful himself and of course the goofy little son now there's this <laughs> the the thing that sets all of this in motion is this meteor crashes into their front yard and attracts the attention of there's this hydrologist who is surveying the the land who played by Elliot Knight, who extremely talented. He's, it's hard to pick a lead because all these characters share a amount of free uh, stage, <laughs> stage time, <laughs> screen yeah. time. So this meteor mm -hmm. crashes into the front yard and eventually, well, the, and they are so fascinated by it. It's like insane. And they tell the news, the news people to come by. But when they come by the next day, the meteor is gone. Now this hole hmm. is, is it goes pretty deep, and this light starts seeping out of it, this color out of space, and it starts affecting Ooh. all of the family members differently. And you know, time passes without people realizing it, or they'll do something and it'll be undone just a second later, or people will just be 
in a location for hours not doing anything and not realize that they're not doing anything. Nicolas Cage in specifically just gets angrier and more of a temper and like calls don't go through. It's all this really cool stuff to a point like it makes you feel just as helpless as the people in the movie itself. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and it's like there's cool body horror, there's monsters. I won't spoil how, but there's really cool effects. And the the color that the, the color cast is this extremely <laughs> vibrant and unnatural, like this pink purple kind of mix. Now there is, I believe there is a version, and I may be wrong, so smack me if you see me in real life, if I'm wrong. <laughs> Will do. Not you. Um, I'm talking oh, to Tatiana Maslany, our enemy. <laughs> Um, the number one mortal enemy. Exactly. Go on. <laughs> I believe there is a black and white cut that is going to happen, and where the color being in that black and white even more intensifies that this color is so unnatural and shouldn't be here. Hmm. So this is possibly my favorite H.P. Lovecraft adaptation ever, after Reanimator, of course, because Reanimator's a 10 out of 10 perfect movie. Won't be talking about it on today's episode, though. And it is the first <laughs> in a trilogy that this uh, Ri uh, Richard Stanley plans to direct of H.P. Lovecraft adaptations. I believe the next one is nice. the Dunwich Horror, which is a classic one. All the fish people. Or is that Innsmouth? I can't remember. Uh, Lovecraft's coming up. <laughs> and I don't... I think he... I trust him, the definitive Lovecraft director at this point in time. And that's going to bring me to the end of my number eight. Unless you have anything else to say on it. Mm, no, I, I've seen this one in Walmart as well, and I always want to buy it, but I haven't seen it. Highly recommend. And now maybe I will buy it and watch it, because that sounds awesome. There is some really gross-out scenes. I think this is the first movie from my recollection that there is not sexual assault in. So, hey. Ding, 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 hey, ding, ding. Nice. Ring the buzzer. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. <laughs> And Greg, take it away. Thank you, Nicholas. My number eight pick is going to be something maybe a lot of you, like myself, saw on the Sci-Fi channel at some point. My number eight pick is a film called Splinter. Now, if you know anything about Splinter, you know it's a creature feature. And if you know anything about creature features, you know there's a creature in it. So with Splinter, the creature, it's kind of like a parasite that takes the form of splinters that poke out of your skin and if it ever touches you guess what it's inside you now and it's probably going to eat you from the inside out but you won't die that's something that i thought was really cool about splinter when it shows the first actual victim the human victim of the splinter i i, I always call it the prick because i think that's a cooler name and a missed opportunity but if, when you see the first victim and it's a guy uh, Charles Baker is the actor's name, and he's all covered in the splinters, and he's rolling around, kind of like a tumbleweed almost, because it's it doesn't really know how to use a human body, it just uses it for sustenance. It's horrifying, and then when you think it's over, you just hear Charles Baker whisper, KILL ME! And that just makes it even more horrifying, because you see him get attacked at the start of the movie, which is probably around noonish. It is in the evening when our main cast of characters shows up to the gas station. And uh, 
he's still being fed upon. Pretty horrifying stuff. And there's also a lot of cool... Uh, I actually haven't seen Reanimator, but there's a lot of uh, Reanimator-esque type of moments. Uh, at one point, a hand of one of the infected beings gets chopped off, and it just kind of ploops itself up like a little spider hand monster, and it starts walking around looking for someone it can attack. It's really, it's kind of silly, and it's kind of scary, it's kind of awesome. And, I mean, maybe it happens again, maybe it doesn't, but it definitely does happen again, and it's even spookier. And that one's a bit sillier, because then it's a larger uh, limb that gets chopped off and starts chasing them, but, you know, it's it's very clearly, uh, it's very clearly a cheaper movie, but it's also, in my opinion, just a great romp. You just get in, you get out. It's something like, hold on one sec. It is an hour and a half long, so it's that nice 90 minute bite where you just get yourself some fast food, you sit down, and you just enjoy some gross out blood splatter horror and bodies getting chopped up. And by the end, there's just like this, I mean, no spoilers, of course, but by the end, it's taken so many things into it that it kind of becomes this just mass of human pieces and it just looks so cool. You don't see it all that much because that also confused me a bit. I don't know why they didn't just do a steady cam on it. <laughs> I think they were trying to make it more scary when they start like fighting the mishmash creature. But man, the glimpses, the clear glimpses you can get of this thing are phenomenal. It is very spoops, and it's also very cool. Also, uh, Shea Wiggum is in this. If you're a fan of Joker, second time I'm referencing it, he played one of the officers in Joker, of course, who questions uh, Arthur Fleck. He's one of the leads in this movie, and is one of the best parts of the movie as well. He, a uh, bit of a hard ass, <laughs> which is done mostly for comedy. Uh, Paulo Costanzo, he plays kind of the opposite of him. He's not really a rough and tumble kind of guy, not like Shea Wiggum is. And there's a lot of back and forth banter between them. It's not the best, but it, it's in there. So if you like that kind of stuff, you know, you, you get a little flavor of that as well. And yeah, Splinter is just, it's a good time. And I believe right now you can watch it on Vudu for free. And Ooh. thank you, Fact Checker. It looks like you can also watch it on Tubi for free. Ooh. Yeah, so if anyone wants to check that one out, give some love to Splinter from 2008. It's, honestly, it's a pretty good time, I think. And hopefully you'll think so too, because little indie movies like this that clearly had a budget that they were working within, you know, they deserve some love. They deserve as much love as 1408, as some other movies, Toxic Avenger, which I'm sure had a tiny price tag as well. Oh yeah, maybe like... A thousand bucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, spread some love to Splinter. And Nick, I'm going to toss it back to you for your number seven pick. What you got for me? Now, let me ask one thing. Splinters. <clears throat> that is a movie in which there is an extended scene within a gas station? Yes. Actually, Splinter is almost entirely a mm -hmm. Coke bottle. And if you know that, that, uh, that phrase, that turn of phrase... That means it almost entirely takes place inside of the gas station with a couple scenes on the road and 
one scene at a campground that's not really a campground. You know, they mm-hmm. kind of just pulled over and shot yeah. a quick scene. But yeah, Splinter is almost entirely at the gas station, and I thought they did a pretty good job with it. Very cool, very cool. By the way, Toxic Avenger, $500,000. A little oh bit more gosh. than 1000 Still not a lot. <laughs> just a little. No, not for movie standards. <laughs> Sounds like a lot is not. This is going to bring to my numero seven, siete, if you will. This is a classic, technically a creature feature. This is a love child project written and directed by Frank Henenlotter. This is Basket Case. Now, Basket Case may may stand out as a top-tier Green Day song, but we're not talking about that one. We're talking about the 1982 (laughs) American horror film, of course. This is about these two... It's about this guy, Dwayne Bradley who carries around this big picnic basket. And he's looking for uh, certain doctors who uh, separated him from his conjoined twin when he was a a teenager or a younger child. Because his conjoined twin is heavily Mm -hmm. deformed to the point where he's basically a puddle with a face and a big arm. And he is what he carries around in this picnic basket. Sexual assault warning. There is Nick. uh, uh, Unring the buzzer. The brother's name is Belial. uh, And I believe he sexually assaults a woman who is trying to get with Dwayne at some point. Now, in in this movie, he's definitely intended to be... They're kind of the villains who you kind of see why they are the way they are. The issue in the sequels is is they become protagonists as they're not like they're you know they're kind of crazy people but they just want to live their life so they're a lot less mean spirited yeah. which kind of in reverse makes this sexual assault that much more worse for the character <laughs> but it is you know schlocky movie this budget was thirty five thousand dollars oh my god you can tell the puppet is really shitty in a lot of the scenes the acting <laughs> is not great. The cinematography is mostly bad. There's a couple cool things, like, you know, where you're looking from the perspective of Belial, if I remember correctly. It's been a minute since I've seen it. But this is another Mm. deep passion project. It's the perfect schlocky horror movie from the early 80s. And within its two other sequels, it's extremely consistent in this quality, even though I believe the budget goes up a pretty good deal, especially in the third one. Spoiler alert, in the third one, <laughs> there's a mech. That's all I'm going to say. That should give you enough motivation. <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of love for this series. I watched it... The, the, the way I watched all these movies was in the early days of YouTube, where you could just upload the movies if you just did it in 10-minute parts. <laughs> so I watched about... <laughs> 50 parts of the Basket Case Trilogy on YouTube when I was just a teensy tiny little boy. That's incredible. My fact checker has just slid me something that said that the director didn't even have control over the post-production. So a lot of, so that's why a lot of the film is a little dark and murky and I didn't know that. How interesting. Yeah. Now this movie's really, it's kind of shitty, but, and you know, 
Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, however, not you know, not the only source of quality, does hold it at a 77%, which I think is really a testament to That's how much decent. to how much, especially with a budget of $35,000 for an early 80s creature feature about a deformed <laughs> deformed conjoined twin named Belial who lives in a picnic basket. I think that's more than fair <laughs> enough for this movie. It's really charming. Yeah. I I oh, highly boy. suggest There's a joke and I think it's the third one where all the characters in the movie end up and I don't know if it was on purpose but they're all they all have D names. <laughs> so I think they they use a scene it's like well let me see if i can pull that up really quick because it's it's so hilarious so it, it, it's b names actually so it's belial so the only one is <laughs> Dwayne, who's d so the line goes bailey you book the bradley boy baxter take the bassinet of baby belial's in back and get brody to come by where's brennan and banner bowling <laughs> which bowling uh, phenomenal That's incredible which they, they definitely become more horror comedies as the series goes on the first one is closer to being a quote-unquote straight horror even though it's, it's still really goofy so if you if you mm-hmm. are a fan of this kind of kind of similar to like the puppet master movies or dolls just go back in and, and check this one oh, out dolls is great you won't you won't regret it Dolls is great, so if you're comparing Basket Case to Dolls, I, I kind of want to see it, honestly. <laughs> dolls, of course, came five years later, but still really good. Do you have anything else to add, or would you like to take it away on your number seven? I have one question. Does he strangle anyone with the one strong arm? I, I think he has two hands, but he does have one stronger hand. I feel like he has, because this is a low-budget horror movie, There, ha- he has to strangle someone. He's got to. Because strangling okay. is, is the go-to for low-budget horror. Yeah, it's the cheapest thing. <laughs> All right, for my number seven, I just want to say, one of the things I love the most about horror films, uh, specifically the ones that are pretty bad but have some really cool ideas, are those really cool ideas. The ones that you can just take into your brain and run with. As a writer myself, I've, I found a lot of inspiration mm-hmm. for things from horror movies that did those things but not great or maybe didn't even realize they were doing them this mm. movie is kind of like that this movie is hellfest for those of you oh. who are familiar with hellfest i love hellfest i think it's actually done incredibly well i think it's very spoopy it's also it does a really nice thing where there's um there's a boyfriend character and i won't say which because uh they're a couple so technically not spoilers there's a boyfriend character who's kind of like oh man they're gonna finally be together and be happy and stop fighting or whatever and then he gets murked somewhere in the middle of the movie so you're not worrying anymore about the will they won't they survive the night Mm. because it's already decided for you and it's like that's such a smart move now i don't care about him i care about the main character who is a young female protagonist, which I am a fan of. I write a lot of uh, female protagonists. I don't know why, but I do, especially in horror things. And they almost always survive, spoiler alert for my stuff, in Hellfest. (laughs) It's just, it's got like so many nice tropes. It's like the mouthy girl, the smart girl, the jock boy, the shy boy, and Mm -hmm. the best friend. 
and the the little little bits of drama that aren't really like deeply touched upon they're kind of like touch and run yeah (laughs) the movie kind of touch and runs them so it's just like (laughs) here's the thing that could be annoying the whole movie just kidding they resolved it because they're actual friends in like real life nice (laughs) i really like that it does that oh yeah and it just like all the characters work so well together and the killer himself is so epically generic and perfect (laughs) in what he is i love him so much i don't think he has a name in the credits uh maybe the fact checker can look that up while i'm schlocking on about this but also there's one scene in particular about hellfest that i really love that just shows you tells you so much about the villain it's a a scene where one of the guys is trying to lift a hammer and it's way too heavy for him to lift and then he walks (laughs) away and the killer sneaks up behind him grabs the hammer and lifts it like it's nothing it's such a good show of strength he may or may not I'm not spoiling this movie, but Hellfest, especially the ending to Hellfest, it just makes your brain like wonder like, oh, where's the sequel going to go? Because this feels mm-hmm. like something that you could have 30 sequels to, and it wouldn't get old because it's already tropey as hell. It'd just be the fun kills that everyone loves, some stock characters that maybe live, maybe don't, and a good time, some popcorn, some friends maybe, or if you don't have friends, you have Hellfest, so there's that. <laughs> it's true. Hellfest once yeah. actually held my hair back and took my glasses off while I was puking after a party. Nick, I was worried you were going to go the sexual assault route as you have with so many of your movies so far. Well, you're going to love and my I'm number I'm glad six. you didn't. <laughs> oh, God. What was the question I asked myself about Hellfest? <laughs> I don't remember anymore. Oh, well. Fact checker, throw away your notes. Also, fun fact, the fact checker has actually been revived for the Halloween special. No longer a corpse in a box, but only for today. He is actually voiced by the original Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Who he won't was... be heard on our podcast. Oh, no. He required way much, way much movie money. Huh? Way too many, <laughs> way too much money. That was hard. Fun way too fact many dollar bills. About him. He was also in the hit musical Reefer Madness. That is John Edward Cassier. Ooh. What a great voice actor. Nice. Hell yeah. Hell, <laughs> Hell fest. fest, yeah. Hey. <laughs> what a bunch Nicholas, of Nicholas, do you have any... Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Any statements or uh, anything about Hellfest you want to get into before we move on to year number six? I have not actually seen Hellfest, but I am really scared that someone will get hit with a big ol' hammer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put that fear to rest. It does happen. Please watch Ooh, it. Alright, you've convinced me. We're going to move on to Hell my... Yeah. Number six. Now, <laughs> this is a movie. <laughs> if you were big fans of Ryan Hollinger, he's covered it pretty recently. This is a movie called Possum. Now, Possum is whoop, whoop. directed and written. <clears throat> I'm a big fan of writer directors, apparently. I think a lot of my movies so far have been that. Matthew Holness, <laughs> which is his film debut. I'm not familiar with any of the actors in it. Uh, but the Hol- Holness had worked on Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which is, you know. That's pretty cool. I, I, I like. I, I saw a couple of that show. It was pretty good. Uh, this movie is about an ambiguously tortured individual who moves back to his family home so he can. There's an amb- 
Big U is getting fired from his job. We're kind of learning stuff as we go along in the movie. No spoilers. Um, <laughs> is there a sexual assault warning? Who knows? Yes. Uh, I, I think we all knew, yeah. <laughs> so is a, he was a children's puppeteer who used it as, as a teacher. Now, this puppet is the titular possum. And it is one of the scariest doll puppets in a movie that I've ever seen. There is a shot in this movie that haunts me still to this day. It is extremely scary. And it's basically about him trying to get rid of this puppet. But each time he throws it away or he burns it or he throws it into like a, a bog. One of the famous British bogs. He will wake up the next day and it'll be somewhere in the room. Maybe it'll be right next to him or he'll see it in the reflection of the mirror. And, you know, turn around and suddenly it's there. And it's a lot about confronting, you know, traumas or guilt and, and repression and violence. And it's really masterful. There's two main actors and there's a couple extras. There's a, a couple kids and, and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Won't go too into them. But these two main actors are the main character with the puppet and his very unsettling uncle who is just the grimiest man I've seen since <laughs> since that since the lady behind the dumpster in Mulholland Drive so <laughs> that 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 dumpster man <laughs> he's the grimiest after that the uncle from this movie so what I love about this movie is the scares are not only really subtle they take their time I'm a big fan of jump scares but there's not really any jump scares here there's Sudden, there's suddenly he's there, but there's not big violin sting and like a. <laughs> it's just him because he's because he's more or less he's kind of used to it. He's still terrified, but he will turn and like oh shit, it's fucking here and like in like being in a state of this like emotional paralysis, which is kind of how I felt. Some horror movies I gasp and go oh shit what the fuck. Or some movies, I'll, I'll get up in pace <laughs> while I watch it because I feel like I have to be moving. But this one is just like, it completely stuns me. And you're just kind of, in, you're, it's almost like a hypnosis that you were set upon in this very moody, you know, there's, you know, there's a, a, like a children's rhymes. There's like this poetry, this really uh-huh. dark, low score. And you see, you don't see all of this puppet. You just see parts of it until you see the full thing and it's just a it's beautifully crafted and uh it is a spider spider alert 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 got no words (laughs) left got no strings to hold me uh (laughs) if you're afraid of spiders Uh, there are spider legs in this movie in this puppet this puppet is a big uh, the you'll see it on the poster you'll see it if you try to look it up on anything Big old dang old spider legs. Mm-hmm. So if you're not a fan of spiders, like Mr. Boulonis over here. Nope. <laughs> have a warning of them. Anything to add on this movie, Mr. Mr. Boo, be Boo Spider Lover? Just a quick shout out to Enemy. Uh, the ending of Enemy, the spoilers, has a giant spider and it scared me lifeless. So I can't wait to be scared lifeless by Possum. Mm-hmm. Well, you can take it away with your number six if you're ready. Absolutely. So my number six is going to be the film Congo. Anyone out there familiar with Congo? Hell yeah. So Congo, I believe, is actually based on a Michael Crichton novel. You know, a guy who wrote uh, Jurassic Park. Tons of 
tons of like the 80s movies a lot of them have <laughs> write-ins by uh michael crichton whether it became first or after i i really suggest the jurassic park novel it's really good really dark and it cements my Ooh. my theory that they're just straight up horror movies sorry i'll let you get back to it <laughs> yeah we'll have to retroactively add jurassic park to the horror list the <laughs> congo is a favorite of mine uh, from childhood. I saw this movie when I was uh, pretty young, and it kind of always stuck with me because it's really, it's it's pretty damn cool. I mean, I you know, there are a lot of movies that are quote unquote ahead of their time. I think this movie might be like a hidden gem, kind of in that genre, mm-hmm. because. It's got a female protagonist who's a badass, like very Sarah Connor. It's also got a one of the leads who is uh, African-American. He's very famous. I don't know his name, though. Oh, I'm terrible with names. But they're like two of the coolest characters. And then, uh, as you may have guessed, Congo, it takes place in Africa, where there Ooh, are what country? killer gorillas. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure. Let me look that up. Fact check. Oh, he said shut up. Okay. <laughs> we give him life for one day and he turns into an asshole. Thanks. Moving on. <laughs> so Congo is plot-wise a quick summary. A movie where a woman wants to go to the Congo to find her husband who was there looking for a diamond mine. And on the other side of it, there is a scientist who is a professor as well. And he's made a glove that allows a gorilla her sign language that is to be transformed into verbal speech so she's a talking gorilla quote unquote oh and he decides i gotta get her back to the jungle i gotta get her back to the congo because she's been having nightmares and she keeps drawing the forest so she obviously wants to go back (laughs) which is like the weirdest logic to me but that makes sense they end up hooking up uh in a couple ways but the scientist lady and the university lad with the gorilla end up hooking up they go to the congo together they have their guide who is um the aforementioned very famous black actor who i cannot remember the name of and they go on a little action adventure there's some shenanigans with leeches on penises there's some hippos so nick i know you'll love that And then they finally find their way to where they think the diamond mine's going to be, or at least the lost city of Zinj, I believe is what it's called. Uh, also, Tim Curry's in this. And He's the monkey. they end up finding out there's these killer gorillas here. <laughs> and it turns in, like, real quick. It tu- I mean, there's, like, a horror scene in the opening, but really quick it turns into, like, a super spooky predator kind of feel where it's like and predator yes predator is a horror movie just so y'all know um Correct. yeah it's just it's so crazy i believe the scene in the opening is a guy sitting on the steps outside another guy's like i'm gonna go in and then while he's sitting there he gets something tossed in his lap and maybe it's an eyeball and that scene stuck with me for a very long time until i watched it again and thought man this is fucking great so for anyone who hasn't seen congo i believe it is uh from the 80s the film or actually i think it's from the 90s like right at the start of the 90s uh fact checker 
Actually, I'm wrong. It's from the mid-90s, 1995 to be exact. Thank you, fact checker. And the actor I'm thinking of is Ernie Hudson. Oh, from The man with a thousand dollar voice. Yeah, I guess I haven't seen it. He is super funny in the movie. He's super great. As is the female actor, as are the male actors. And, man, just... If you haven't seen Congo, like I keep saying over and over in my number six segment, (laughs) give it a shot because it's a lot of fun. It's also got some good spook scares in it. And man, if they remade Congo today, I feel like it would be just even like 20 times more brutal, which is funny to say after I just described a gorilla throwing an eyeball into a guy's lap. Quick, who would you choose to direct it? Ah, oh, for a Congo, it's got to be action. It's got to be horror. James Wan. <laughs> I think James Wan can do anything, but giving him this feels like it would be a perfect blend of action and horror because he seems to be wanting to get away from horror right now. Mm-hmm. So I think it might pique his interest to be like, I get to direct gorillas? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they would let James yeah. Wan anywhere near a gorilla. <laughs> Hopefully not. We want to keep him alive. And that is my number six pick. 